Let us pray as I begin. Father, I pray that you will take all the preparation and all the listening and all the prompting by your spirit and use what I offer through my words. And my prayer is for each of us to be moved to to receive by your spirit today, to hear your word for each of us in this place. Through Jesus Christ, amen. I want to start by asking you to think back to when you were at school. And I know for some of us it'll be a bit longer than for others. But what sort of games did you play in the playground? Can you remember what they are, what they were? I suspect that if we all gathered together and shared what we thought of, that there would be some common games. They might be called by different names, but I think we probably played some of the same sorts of things. I played skipping and tag. I don't know if you called it that. What time is it, Mr. Wolf, British Bulldog? All those sorts of things. But when I was thinking back to my time at school and in the playground, I also remembered arguments and people not wanting to come alongside and play the same sort of games. And as I did, I remembered something that I occasionally used to do with friends. Two or three of us would join arms and walk around the playground saying, do you want to play my game? And there'd be an opposing group over the other way, joining hands, saying, do you want to play my game? And actually, by the time we had enough people to join the game, playtime was over, the bell had rung, and we had to go back into class. Playing in the playground teaches us a lot, doesn't it, about relationships and about friendships, about what's really important My point in sharing this is, when I read the passage for the first time and there was the parable of the complaining children right at the end, it pushed me right back to the playground of children complaining, of children saying, do you want to come and join and play with me? Did we want to go and join in and play? The words in my translation were, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. A rhyme, a parable, saying that whatever was offered, you actually didn't come and join in. When there was joy and merriment, it wasn't quite right. When there was sadness or mourning, that actually didn't quite fit in with what we wanted either. So others didn't join in. It's because it's not what they wanted to do, what they expected to do or perhaps what was felt to be appropriate to do. Joining in can be because of many, not joining in can be because of many reasons. Jesus, I think, uses this parable partly, and parables are quite often multi-layered and quite difficult to understand, but to point out that many in Israel were failing to see what God was doing, and they were not joining in. People, particularly the Pharisees and leaders, those who thought they were morally acceptable and right, were failing in particular to respond to the news that John the Baptist was proclaiming. So when he wailed, when there was weeping, they didn't join in. And these people and others failed to see what Jesus was doing. When Jesus was making merry with those tax collectors and sinners, there was criticism. So when the flute was played, when there was merriment made, people did not join in and dance. 
John the Baptist came to prepare, prepare the way for the anointed one. He had an unusual lifestyle. He lived in the desert eating locusts and honey. And Jesus, the Messiah, had a ministry of teaching of miracles, but he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Perhaps to many who thought they knew better the behaviours and activities of Jesus and of John the Baptist didn't fit. But actually the behaviours of Jesus and John the Baptist demanded their attention and their questions because both these ministries were prophetic. The lifestyles that these people, these men inhabited were prophetic. They were meant to be looked at and questioned. And in our text today, even John the Baptist asks questions. Remember that John is no ordinary prophet. He's the one mentioned in Malachi, the messenger who would clear the path for the master to come to the temple and cleanse it all of unholiness, to bring in God's judgment and mercy to bear on Israel. And this master is not simply the Messiah, but Yahweh, but God himself, Israel's God in person, come down to earth. So John is in prison when this text took place. He's in Herod's fortress on the far side of the Dead Sea. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one who is to come? Or are we waiting for somebody else? And I must admit, a part of me thinks, didn't he know? Wasn't he a prophet? He'd baptised Jesus. A prophet, spiritually sensitive to God. One who speaks and acts in accordance with the will of God, with how God is prompting him. And he didn't know quite He's not sure, is he? So John's disciples went to ask whether Jesus was the Messiah. Who are you, they said. Are you the one that is to come? Because actually there's an undertone here, isn't there? Are you actually doing all that was expected of you to do? And actually when John's disciples arrived to meet with Jesus, they saw for themselves what was happening Jesus told them to tell John what they had seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. All this had been foretold in Isaiah. So let me read Isaiah 35, 5-6 to you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. In Jesus' actions and ministry, there was fulfilment of prophecy, of things that were going to come to be, of the end of death, of pain, the end of sickness and poverty and misery. That was the good news that Jesus brought in. 
Jesus' ministry of teaching and miracles showed the world in the light of the kingdom of God how things would be if God was fully in charge in all of us, in all of the world. Yet, even these ideas, these ways, these miracles called into question about things that people thought the Messiah should be. So Israel thought the Messiah should be a warlord. There were talk about a priest, a king, a liberator, somebody who would free them from the occupation of the Romans. So John, in prison, not free, he's thinking, if this is the Messiah... What is he doing? Why am I still in this prison? What is the good news for me? Was he to be freed from prison? Why was it like this for him? Questions, perhaps, that produced an uncertainty or some sort of doubt in his mind, which showed a need for him to ask again via his disciples, Who are you? We still have questions today, don't we? I think we have many questions. Our world gives us questions, big questions. We see terror, we see poverty, we see war and suffering. We see bad things happen to good people. We see children dying of starvation. We witness the ravages of war-torn countries on the news. We hear stories of modern-day slavery. And then recently, there's all the issues over gender yet again in the news. So there are times, friends, when I, I know that God appears silent. There are times when I know I long for more intervention because it's difficult to watch, isn't it? We long to see an end to these sorts of situations. Yet we're waiting with that not happening, perhaps as quickly as we would like. And yet we are called to wait and we are called to continue to trust. We are called to continue to love God and love each other. And we are called to try and make a difference to the lives we live where we are in the here and now. And on a personal level, we may have really big questions because of our own circumstances. The trials that we are walking through, the difficulties that we have, that might seem contra to the life we thought we had would have with Christ. So anyway, let's go back and look at who Jesus is again. Jesus hadn't been born into wealth and privilege. He didn't command an army. When he performed these wonderful miracles on many occasions, he even asked the person to be quiet and not tell what he had done. He also lived without restrictions on caring, I think, what people really thought of him and how he should live. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, 
those who were in the dregs of society that were not included anywhere else. Not to condone and say their lifestyle was okay, but to be with them. We um, have just had the privilege of having a holiday. We were up in the Peak District, and on one day, Nicholas, our son, wanted to go to Chartwell, so we did. We took him there. Um, Jeremy and I had been before some years ago. Wonderful stately home in beautiful grounds, quite amazing big building. But actually, as we walked into the dining room where I expected the table to be laid very formally with crystal and china and silver waiting for that very expensive dinner party, that's not what was in the room. The room was filled with mannequins, men, women and children, all wrapped in different cloths, some very flimsy, some with more fabric. It actually was really not what I expected to see. And the table was laid with red glasses and then glitter. It it just didn't feel right. It was edgy. It was not what I expected to see in that place. But it made me think, made me think about why I'd expected to see what I did and what was seeing all these mannequins and the glitter doing to my sensibilities on walking into that room. Jesus did not party with the Pharisees. He didn't party with the morally acceptable, those who thought they'd got all the answers and got it right. But Jesus came offering God's forgiveness to all, and therefore he relates to sinners. Look forward into Luke's Gospel. Read again chapter 15, the stories of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, how much rejoicing there is when one sinner repents. Jesus came to save the lost, bring them back, bring us back into the fold to let us know that, they are, that we are included and loved of God. So his eating with tax collectors and sinners was a prophetic sign of things to come, of sinners being welcomed by God back into community. And friends, we need to remember that Jesus went on to pay the ultimate price for all our sins. That's something that we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus' death and resurrection has overcome the consequences of all we have done in the past, of all that we do in the present, and all of what we might do in the future. And through him, we are welcomed if we accept this gift of forgiveness. So in this text, we had John the Baptist criticised for living a separate and distinct lifestyle in the desert, eating locusts and honey, baptising those who repent of their sins. But in John, we see a struggle to comprehend who Jesus is. And I think in that, we also have an invitation for each of us to continue to explore more deeply who Jesus is. As I've said, we all have many questions, things we don't understand, things we don't like. There are things we choose instead to complain about and criticise. And in our complaining and criticising, I think we're missing some of the deeper things that need our attention. God does not always act as we expect him to. We cannot predict him. 
We cannot control him. That's not our job to do that. We live busy lives, and I think one thing our culture is bad at is stopping to be quiet and still and ponder, to think on these questions we have, to let Jesus into these places that we're struggling with. What are the things that hinder us? And are there reasons why we're not opening ourselves up? Perhaps one reason is unbelief. In Jesus' ministry, something new was starting to happen. Many did not believe. They were an unbelieving, immature generation set in their ways, reluctant to change, unable to see the movement of God in their midst. Is that so different from how we are today? When we look at our world, I think we can see unbelief, a lack of thinking that things could be any different that we could inhabit a kingdom operating very differently to any known kingdom of this world where there is healing and acceptance. As Christians, we are living as aliens in the world today. Do remember that we are called to live. We're not called to just think on our faith, on our Christianity. It's to be lived practically. It's just not a mental assent to these things. It's a way of life. So jump in. If you're unbelieving, jump in and try it out. Does it work? Is Jesus all he says he is? Perhaps you're reluctant to join in. Because you like things, I like things the way they are. When we join in with God, with Jesus... We're also acknowledging that there's a lot that is wrong in me, in you, in our community, in our culture. Perhaps we're reluctant to let him in to say sorry about these things and to reorientate ourselves in a different way. The Pharisees didn't often join in, did they? They thought they'd got it right. They thought they were morally acceptable in their own strength. They missed the point. Perhaps we don't want things to be God's way up because we think our way is better. Or perhaps when we pray and we're not seeing God join in with our list of wants and seeing things from our perspective, that makes us reluctant to continue. What we do need to remember, though, friends, is that there are eternal consequences of turning to Jesus. So yes, for the the here and now but also for all that is beyond this present life. Perhaps our expectations haven't been met in Jesus. Are we missing who he is? Do we expect the warrior to overturn in an instant the existence we struggle with? Perhaps we limit, I limit Jesus too much. Perhaps we don't expect him to turn up for us because there are so many others and so many bigger things. But you see, God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And again in Romans eleven thirty four, Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Friends, there are some things we do not understand, some things we will not understand. 
and we do not receive the answers to all our questions. It's not wrong to have the questions in the first place because we can grow through questioning, but we will not receive in this life the answer to everything. So we live with the unknowing, the accepting, and the learning to trust, knowing that God is constant regardless of what we and the world is going through. And the amazing thing is when we follow Jesus, we are changed gradually by the Holy Spirit working in our lives from the inside out. It's a process, it's a journey. And it's without continually turning towards him, our complacency, our sin, our restlessness and selfishness all get in the way of the work of the kingdom of this world. Because then we are trying in our own strength rather than his. So we are called to trust that he knows best, that he is working, that he wants for good in our lives, that his will will be done on this earth in the end. Where God is working, things will be turned upside down. It won't always be comfortable but we will be led to the life we have been given, to that fullness of life that God wants us to have. We will um, clash with the culture of the kingdom of this world. We may have to challenge the system. We will be called to love those we find unlovable. We will be asked to make sacrifices, to get our hands dirty saying, not what I want, Lord, but what do you want? So I haven't got all the answers to all the questions, particularly all the questions about suffering. But what I can say is that we live in a relational way with God and with each other. And we each have a part to play in how life is today, right or wrong, good or bad. We are called to live in community together, into relationship with him. Jesus came to bring the sinners home, to heal and restore. And that's just what happens when we receive his forgiveness. We are called to be there for others, for each others, to in our way help to restore broken lives we see around us and to help each other as we journey on. It's not going to be perfect, and it's not going to be easy. But little by little, with God, we can make a difference, and we can see a difference, I believe, in each other, our relationships, and our community. Amen.